Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Radelnik. It's Moody Radio's Bible study across America, and we're talking about the Bible together. Normally, we talk about your questions, but today's a special program. It's pre-recorded. I have a guest with me, Pastor Chris Costaldo. We're talking about a, a powerful segment of Scripture, a part of Scripture that can change our lives. It's called the Beatitudes, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And so don't call today. I understand that you want to get your question in. The best way to do that is just go to our website, openlineradio.org. And when you go to the website, you'll see a link that says, Ask Michael a Question. Click on that, and you can post your question there. I promise you, Trisha McMillan, our producer, will put it in the mailbag. And sooner or later, in a future program, we will get to your question, and we will answer it then. But for today, just listen. Get your Bible out. Get it Get it open because you have to follow along. We're working our way through the Beatitudes. We've covered three of them. There's five more to go, and so we're going to work a little quicker this hour to get through all five remaining Beatitudes. The reason we're talking about the Beatitudes, uh, Chris Costaldo is here with me, is because he's written a book. It's called The Upside Down Kingdom from the uh, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. Chris is a PhD from the London School of Theology. He's the pastor, the lead pastor at New Covenant Church in Naperville. He's also a Moody grad uh, from 28 years ago, something 26 years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, that's good. So tell me, uh, before I got to do this, because you know, you've gone to all sorts of school, you've gone to Moody, then you went to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, correct? Mm hmm. And then you graduated from London School of Theology with a PhD. What was the impact of Moody? Moody laid the groundwork. Yeah. When, when I came to Moody, I was a Christian one year. Mm-hmm. I was so biblically illiterate, Michael, that when someone talked about the book of Hebrews, I thought, coming from Long Island, that's for Jewish people. <laughs> Unlike the book of Romans, which is for me, because I'm from Ital- Italian extraction. <laughs> Not all scripture is inspired and for all yeah, of us, right? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so Moody was essential, 2 Timothy 2.15, learning how to rightly divide the word of truth. Yeah. Uh, that is the foundation. Yeah, well, that's so great. Now, obviously, Moody gave you a great foundation for pastoral ministry, teaching Bible, and, and all that. People often ask me, what if I don't want to be a pastor? What if I don't want to go into vocational ministry? Is Moody still a good place for me? And all I can think of, I'd love for your input, but I think of, I have a friend who's the uh, an US, assistant U.S. attorney, went to Moody with me. Another friend that owned a grain elevator who is a great businessman and someone I respect immensely. Uh, I have a former student of mine who's now, uh, well, one that's, uh, an oncologist and another who's a primary care internal medicine physician. They all graduated from Moody. Yeah. Uh, right. Another one that's a banker, you right. know, and they all are in ministry. So uh, what do you think? Yeah. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed. How does that happen? The Word of God. That's what Moody offers. Yeah. So in whatever you do, you want to have that ability to think biblically. Yeah. I have two boys who are students at Moody now. I'm not sure how God is calling them, but I love the fact that they are receiving a Moody education. Yeah, it gives you a found. I always say Moody gives, whether you're going to vocational ministry or not, gives you a foundation for life. And we're all called to serve the king, whether we're in vocational ministry or not. We are to permeate society. When D.L. Moody talked about uh, people coming to Moody, 
to the school he started, which wasn't called Moody then because he wouldn't name a school after himself. He had to die for it to get that name. But uh, the name was the Chicago Evangelization Society, and it was designed to create gap men and women, people who would stand in the gap between the professional clergy and the people who needed to hear about Jesus and learn the Bible. He was going to prepare people so that they can be in the gap stand in the gap and and serve God in that way. And that's what we're still doing. Yeah, we prepare people for vocational ministry, uh, but we also prepare people to serve God and and permeate society in in every in all kinds of professions. And so that's why I, I just I I look at you, Chris, someone I'm really uh so pleased and grateful to God that you came to Moody and how God is using you is is tremendous. And your wife, by the way, uh, who I like a lot more than you, and, and that's a lot. You know? I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the Angie and you are just exactly what I always want to see Moody students come out. But there are others like you who are not in vocational ministry, and they are serving God in a remarkable way, and I'm so grateful they went to Moody as well. Yes, we believe in the priesthood of believers. Yeah. There's nothing inherently superior to my calling as a preacher compared to someone who works in the marketplace. Yeah. It's it's they're going to serve God there too, right. hopefully, and that's what we're going to train them. So, by the way, if you're if you're listening, and this is, I wasn't intending a commercial. It's just what I believe so much in what we're doing here at Moody. Uh, and you have a, a young person in your life, maybe someone in high school who's graduating and wondering where to go to school. Uh, point them to Moody. Have them check it out. You, they can start at the webpage, go to Moody.edu, and check out Moody Bible Institute. I think you'll be really pleased. Maybe visit the school. Well, ch- uh, you know, check out the. Uh, and and I keep saying, God bless the school that D.L. Moody founded, as we sing here at Moody Bible Institute. Okay, let's talk about the Beatitudes. Uh, we have covered uh, uh, several of the Beatitudes, three of them to be uh, uh, accurate. We've talked about being blessed and poor, if we are poor in spirit, if we mourn, and if we are meek. And we that's what we covered last hour. If you missed it, check out uh, you can go to the webpage. You can do all, any number of things. You can check out the Moody Radio app, and you can listen to that. But now we want to talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, what does it mean? To hung- well, there's two things. What does hunger and thirst mean? I think we pretty much get that. Yeah. But what kind of righteousness? This is the big question. Uh, the word righteousness has been understood in different ways. Sometimes it's viewed as righteousness before God, what we call justification. By the way, th- those words righteous and justice are translations of the same Greek word, word in yeah. Greek and Hebrew and even yeah. in Latin, right? Um, and that's the starting point. We're right with God. Mm-hmm. But it goes further. It's righteousness within us that renovates the soul, that conforms us to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then it goes further still in righteousness through us into the world. Think of the ministry of the prophets. Justice. Justice, exactly. And the biblical vision and what Jesus is describing here is the full sweep. And sometimes in our church traditions, we can focus on one of those at the expense of the other two. And I I think this statement challenges us to to capture the vision for the the full extension. A more holistic view of righteousness, yes. not just being declared righteous, justification, not just uh, living righteously, uh, being transformed by the Holy Spirit into a person that's obedient to the Lord Jesus, not just that, but also 
uh, pursuing justice in our society, doing all that we can uh, to do what is right uh, in in our culture. So you're saying it's all three of those thoughts at the same time. Yeah. In our churches, we have people who have been converted. Praise God. Mm-hmm. They're right with God. They have righteousness of Christ declared on their behalf. Um, but they're not leaning into their faith. They're not reading the word and praying, and so they're not experiencing the internal renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some who get that. They're plugged into a community group, and uh, they're, they're walking with the Lord each day, but they haven't yet appreciated God's desire to transform their community by his grace. Mm-hmm. And so this statement is just that. It's a, it's a reminder and a challenge for us to understand our calling, uh, not only in terms of righteousness before God, not only in terms of sanctification, but uh, an embodiment of the gospel that is, as Jesus will go on to say, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Yeah, salt being what they used to prevent corruption of meat Yes, because they didn't have refrigeration. So the salt of the earth was at least, at least it prevented rottenness and light was shown in a dark place uh, advancing righteousness. And so basically what we are when we are hunger and thirst for righteousness, one aspect of that is that we can withhold the rottenness in the world and also advance righteousness, justice in the world, the good. And that requires the church to be different from the world. And, yeah. and this is the big challenge. The gravitational pull of worldliness, which David Wells said, (laughs) is anything in culture that makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. When we succumb to that, then it's tantamount to what Jesus says about salt that has lost its saltiness. We're we're incapable of bringing that preservation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I studied in Israel a long time ago, more than 40 years ago, we were staying down by the Dead Sea. In non, it was July. It wasn't air conditioned. We were in these little metal huts that we were staying in. They had no windows. Flies all over the place. We even had a viper one day, and a scorpion. No, not a viper. Sorry, scorpion, in, in our little hut. Uh, that was not happy. But uh, even I were there. We're married, newly married couple studying there. It was really a wild thing, and. We had enough food, but there wasn't enough water because the place we were staying, as we studied in the Dead Sea area, only had Coca-Cola machines, no water. And I remember just being so desperate for water. And we couldn't drink the water there. It was mostly salty. And I remember going, walking up to one of the luxury hotels by the Dead Sea and walked up to the bar. And, you know, I guess they thought I was going to order something alcoholic. I said, water, make it a double. <laughs> That's how desperately we need to want righteousness. Yeah. What's, uh, what's wonderful about this statement is Jesus promises his blessing upon the hungering and thirsting. It's not necessarily the apprehension of righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's desiring desire. it. It's longing for it. Yeah. And that's encouraging because who among us is capable of living a life of righteousness consistently? Completely. We, we all... Yeah. Sure. The calling here is to desire it. Desire it and pursue it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very helpful. I, I think that that is uh, exactly what we need to be living like, you know, the pursuit of righteousness personally and 
collectively in our community. I think that's tremendous. Uh, well, we're going to keep studying with Pastor Chris Costaldo. His book is The Upside Down Kingdom. Don't miss this book. It'll change your life because these words from the Sermon on the Mount will change our lives. We're going to come right back with more of the Beatitudes right here on Moody Radio's Open Line. The whole Bible tells one big story. It begins in a garden, ends in a city, and all the way through it points to the Messiah Jesus. Understanding the Bible as a unified whole helps us understand it much better. And that's precisely why I'd like to share with you 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible by Colin Smith. We'll send you a copy with your gift of any amount to OpenLine just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit OpenLineRadio.org. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and joining me today is Pastor Chris Costaldo. Uh, Chris is the pastor of, lead pastor of Naperville, uh, Naperville Church, New Covenant Church in Naperville, and also the author of a wonderful new book called The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. I just got to say, don't miss this book. Uh, you're working with the Beatitudes, and how can you not have a wonderful book come out of that. I think it is. You know what I like about the book, though? It's a, a fresh look at the Beatitudes. How many books have been written about the Beatitudes? But this is showing its relevance right for our cultural moment right now. And I think this Upside Down Kingdom is a book that, listen, get it for your home groups, study it, work together through it. It is a great resource for you. Uh, the Upside Down Kingdom by Chris Costaldo. We're up to the next one, and I think it's you have a, a I think a good take on why the after hungering and thirsting for righteousness, why is the next one blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. If we get so focused on justice, righteousness, it's easy for that to become our besetting sin. It's like Javert from Les Misérables, you know, a modern <laughs> day Pharisee. Yeah, we don't want to be Javert. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And so mercy is essential as a counterbalance to the pursuit of righteousness. After all, Jesus came full of grace and truth, both Mm -hmm. maintained in a perfectly balanced poise. That's our calling, to bring both of those virtues to bear together. So just think about it. Those of us who have experienced, you know, the one aspect of righteousness is justification, declared righteous. After we've been declared righteous, how do we look at people who don't know the Lord, we can become very condemning. Yeah, And then if we are experiencing the transformation of the Spirit, sanctification, we can become so righteous we look down at people because of their sin and their trouble that they have in their life because of it, uh, instead of being merciful. Uh, if we are pursuing justice in society, we get mad at everyone who isn't right. and, and get really angry and... and and so why, what a great reminder here. It's noteworthy in Exodus 34, when the Lord declares who he is with, with his own lips, as it were, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, there are any number of things the Lord might have said of himself. He might have said, I am sovereign, I am holy, those things are true, but he chose to highlight his compassion. And he shows his love to the thousandth generation. In that verse in Exodus 34. Yeah, that's that's so important that we get this. So what, what does it mean to show mercy? Yeah, I use a story in the book of a couple who came home 
on furlough. Good friend, uh, a leader in Europe, he called me up and said, we need to get together. An hour later, later, he was at my door, and I could see something was wrong. He says, we need to go for a walk. So we did, and he explained how he had been unfaithful to his wife over a period of time. Uh, and then explained, I could not confess to her myself, so we have come in order for you and Angela to be present. And I said, all right, well, let's go home, and I'll stand beside you, and you can say to your wife all that you need to say. So we did, and it was like watching a, a train wreck in slow motion with loved ones on the train. We had mm-hmm. mentored this couple. They, they were part of our heart. And as he explained the details of his sin, it was like the clouds formed. This this poor wife who had been always faithful saw mm. her life and ministry crumbling before her very eyes. The, the, the tears began to fall. And then after some 15 minutes, he was finished and there was a pause. And it was in that moment as though the devil was cackling with mm. glee. I have won. I have undermined this ministry and this family. And then the wife responded and she looked toward heaven and she declared, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm accepted by his love. And therefore, I am committed to our family, and I am committed to you, my husband. Hmm. And it was though a, a shard of light shone down th- through the clouds in that moment. And the, the, the evil and the wickedness and, and the devices of the, the evil one were um, overturned. Now, they still had a process of recovery, of to be sure, but that was the decisive moment when, when mercy, mercy was applied. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so we who have received such mercy have the privilege of extending that mercy to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I, when I used to do marriage counseling, when I was a pastor, people would come with trouble. I'd always have them start with uh, Colossians, it was always the place I began. Every session began in Colossians. And I'm going to read you the verse because now you can do it as a pastor. Okay, uh, I'd always say, okay, here's uh, what we need to do if we're going to be meeting together. It says in Colossians 3.13, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Yeah. And so if we are forgiven, we have to be forgiving and show mercy. And uh, people, I've had people who have refused to meet with me in the past because that was not, I said, that's the guiding principle of marriage counseling. Well, no, I don't want to do that. Right. So, But this woman, praise God, she understood she had received mercy, therefore she would show mercy. And it's also a stimulus for evangelism. When we mm-hmm. understand how we have been accepted by God despite our sin, that motivates us to turn around toward others, mm-hmm. and impart that same gift. Yeah. Now, it says that uh, those who are merciful will receive mercy. From whom? From God. From God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, Cecilia. Uh, she came to faith later in life, and it's it, she's the, the most enthusiastic evangelist I've ever met. And it was interesting to hear her explain why she's so driven to share the gospel. She said, for so many years, it was like I lived in a dark cave. And then when I heard the good news, it was like I stepped into the bright noonday sun and my eyes began to blink, trying to get perspective on this new reality. 
And, and that's how I feel about Jesus and his redemptive love. The wonder of it all keeps my heart blinking, and, and that's what animates my evangelism. But, but we're not saying here that there's a works righteousness, that we only receive mercy if we're merciful, that if we show mercy, okay, now God will show us mercy. Right. It's those who've received it naturally extended. And we should acknowledge that the language here could sound like a quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other passages of Scripture that convey this similar idea. You, you have to forgive others in order to be forgiven. Uh, I think what's going on there is a person who has experienced this reality for him or herself will naturally extend it to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, in, in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving steward, yeah, he obviously didn't understand uh, genuine forgiveness in the story uh, from God. So therefore, uh, that's why it's that's why he faces judgment because he he really didn't understand he didn't if, if we're using that parable he would not be someone who knows the lord right. so yeah i think that's really crucial i do think i used to think that we would also be shown mercy by others if we're merciful people after being a professor for 30 years i decided that's not true cuz i tend to be a very merciful professor i accept late papers i i work with students all the time and uh, then i get my faculty reviews and there, there's a lot of harsh words there. So, <laughs> so I, I've decided that, uh, no, if you're merciful, you won't necessarily get mercy from people. <laughs> yeah, Augustine said humanity is a mass of perdition. Yeah, right. What can you say? <laughs> no, actually, my student reviews are fine, but every now and then you get one, you think, wow, yeah. I, was I in a different class? So, <laughs> so that's... That's it. So, and by the way, pastors, I think, are in the same boat. Will be so merciful, and and then you get someone who gets mad at you, and you're like, "Wow, I, I I know I have some flaws in my life, but boy, this is harsh." And it's because so don't get. There's no guarantee if we're merciful to others that people will show us mercy. But God is faithful. Yeah. So. If you don't want to get bit by the sheep, don't enter into pastoral exactly. ministry. Exactly. That's right. If you if you don't like their smell either, right? Don't. That's right. That's it. That's how it is. Because uh, sheep do bite. Uh, okay, we're going to look at the very next one, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, what does it mean to be pure? It's obviously our hearts are pure, but what does pure mean? Yeah. Well, um, we value purity. Mm-hmm. And yet it eludes us. I think of uh, the Russian novelist's words, Ivan Turgenev, who said, uh, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. <laughs> and, and that's where we live, you know, uh, even as Christians. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure how you understand Romans 7, but uh, but there Paul says, you know, the good thing I want to do, I don't do, but instead I find myself doing the very thing I wish to avoid. Yeah. Um, and so we're compromised and yet the good news of the gospel is that God embraces us uh, in Christ, and uh, repentance and faith is an entree into his redemptive love. Uh, now, now, let me ask you this, because I think of, you know, we, th- we use the word pure a lot in other areas other than our hearts. Pure salt. It means, you know, in ancient times, salt was mixed with other minerals because you couldn't get it purified. But today we have pure salt means unmixed, or pure sugar, pure cane sugar. It's not mixed with anything else. 
and and what this is saying is an unmixed heart. Yeah. Meaning genuine, authentic, uh, no false motives, uh, a person with authenticity and integrity. Yep. Do you think that that's what's done? I think so. And, and we may not realize that in this life perfectly. Oh, no. But we have the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. who is working to bring us closer to that experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think to the extent that we are able to approach God in that purity, we have the privilege of beholding him. How does that relate to seeing God? This is the beatific vision, which we we see now through a dim glass. One day we'll see him face to face. Mm -hmm. But there's a sense in which God does open our eyes to his beauty and his wonder even now as we read his word, as we worship him, as we fellowship with his people. And so it's a promise to... Uh, to enjoy that gift now and to look forward to the great day when we see him face to face. Yeah. And then when we see him, we shall be like him. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, we're going to be right back with more on the sermon, actually the Beatitudes, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. My guest, Chris Castaldo. I'm Michael Rydelnik. Stay with us. There's still more to come right here on Open Line. Every weekend, Open Line is here to help you understand God, the Bible, and the spiritual life. You ask the questions, and I try to answer straight from Scripture. When you become a Kitchen Table partner, you're not only keeping this program on the radio and internet, you're helping others to hear the truth, and you'll receive exclusive benefits like regular Bible study moments by me offering insight and encouragement. Become a Kitchen Table partner by calling 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And we're back. My name is Michael Rydelnik. Joining me today is Chris Castaldo. No calls today. It's a special pre-recorded program, but we're having a great time working our way through the Beatitudes. Chris is the author of The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life, from the Beatitudes, we've been, I told you, you have great material. We're working through the Beatitudes. Uh, I think this is the book for our cultural moment. It is the study that we need, and I really want to encourage everyone to get this book. And not only to get it, uh, I guess you can get it from your favorite online bookseller. You can go to a Christian bookstore. They all carry it. But uh, it's, it's published by Crossway. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It's a great book for group study, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, you want to sell it. I, <laughs> I know that. I, I, that's not a bad thing. It's because I know you want to have the greatest impact that it can have. That's why you put the effort into writing it, and I'm grateful. Uh, I do think it was kind of cute how you wrote me the text about... Uh, <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to have you on the program. But uh, We go back. Yeah, we go back. It was great. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but I, I think that this is really the book for our time because... The Beatitudes are not how people are living in our culture today. Yeah. Uh, is Jesus wants to transform the way we followers of him live our lives so that we can meet the cultural moment. This is the book for now. Uh, these Beatitudes will change our lives, transform how we live. I think it's so crucial. And now in our culture, one of the things that I have discovered is I feel almost like believers in America today are looking for a fight. Yeah. They're looking for a fight. We're like foaming at the mouth pit bulls. Yeah. I, it breaks my heart when I see that. You know, we're, we, 
it's well that person I I disagree with that person or politically or spiritually and I want to put them away and you know we want to win right and I look at Matthew 5 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they are called sons of God okay what is what is a peacemaker it's like a, a non-conductor it's like a piece of wood in between two uh pieces of metal mm-hmm. that are that are in motion uh, so that there's not friction. Now, look, there's sometimes we can't bring about peace, uh, and there's sometimes when we need to confront sin. And I would say, this is, this is uh, countercultural here in the Midwest, at least, um, sometimes we have to be angry. You know, Jesus was angry at times, mm-hmm. um, overturned the tables of the money changers, confronted the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. Uh, Paul tells us, be angry and do not sin. Ephesians 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but we're not bitter, and, and we're not um, aiming that anger at other people in such a way as to uh, destroy them personally. We're, we're anger, angry at behavior. Um, this is important to say, because some of us live in cultures where it's, it's not acceptable to be angry. I remember my pastor from New York said to me, if God ever calls you back here to Long Island for ministry, you'll never have to worry about someone stabbing you in the back. They will stab you in the chest, yeah. and they'll tell you off as they do it. Yeah. And then he added, and that's kind of refreshing, because you know where they stand. Uh, so anyhow, we need to be... By the way, that's why I went back to New York to be a pastor, because I thought that's the only place in the world where I can be perceived as gentle, because right. every other place... It's relative, oh, no, it? no, yeah, right. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm hitting the microphone here, oh, no. That's, but that's really true. I mean, I felt I fit there, uh, and... Relative to other people, I was rather gentle. So it's not a phony, artificial kind of peace yeah. that fails to confront others when confrontation is needed. So yeah. Let's just make that clear. Yeah. But but this approach you were just describing, where we're angry, we're bitter, we're bombastic, pugnacious—that's what we need to um, address with this beatitude. So here's how I understand the word peacemaker, because I, I was looking at it and. I thought of who are peacemakers. Abraham, when he wants to make peace between his shepherds and Lot's shepherds, what he says, Lot, take what you want. You know, look at all around. Now Abraham's been promised all that land, but there in Genesis thirteen, he says to Lot, just pick the area you want, you go that direction, I'll go the other. And he sacrifices to make peace. And then I think there's enmity between Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. What happens? God sends the peacemaker, Jesus. He is our peace. He sacrifices in order to reconcile. So my definition of peacemaking is reconciliation through personal sacrifice. That's exactly right. Sacrifice is the the key word. Uh, the way Jesus returned us to God, way, wayward children, far off country, was by giving his life, the mm-hmm. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then, I love how you put it, it's not just vertical, it is horizontal. The dividing wall separating Jew and Gentile has been eliminated, so now we get together people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and despite mm-hmm. our differences, we enjoy a heart-to-heart peace. That's what we're called to bring into the world. Jew and Gentile can be reconciled to each other because we've been reconciled to God through Jesus. That's the way the middle wall of partition has been taken out down. That's why uh, my Italian friend here, 
for nearly 30 years, Chris Castaldo and this Jewish guy from uh, these two New York guys, right? We can love each other. Yes. Why? Because we've both been reconciled to Jesus. And, and I think that that is one of the things that people miss out, that God is the ultimate peacemaker. Yes. And now look at what it says. Look at the promise that, that we have. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. I think of sons of God. Obviously, I'm declared a child of God when I believed. John 1, you know. Mm-hmm. But this means I'll look like God. Yes. Don't you think? Sons represent their fathers. They yeah. do the things that their fathers do. In the ancient world, your father was a farmer, you were a farmer. Leather worker, you were a leather. We walk through this world illustrating for others the character of our God. Yeah. When, when I was a new parent, my firstborn, who's now middle-aged, you know, hard, hard to say that, but he's 40, you know, so, uh, I was a pastor of a congregation and he, I had this infant and he looked just like me. It's kind of weird when you think here, I'm an adult, I've got this infant and he looks just like me. He's six months old and he looks just like me. And to this day, he looks like me. And I remember the seven-year-old boy looked at him once at the congregation and said, wow, you look just like your baby, he said to me. <laughs> and I thought, no, he looks just like me. Yeah, I don't look like him. Yeah, And that's when we're peacemakers, we look just like God. We're, we reflect his character. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And that's the promise. If we want to reflect God in terms of how we relate to people, We'll be a peacemaker because what is God? He's the ultimate peacemaker. He reconciled us to himself. So, I mean. And it works like righteousness, which mm-hmm. we considered earlier. We first possess it ourselves as a gift and that we're right with God. And then it gets worked into our soul where we're convinced he has separated our sins from us as far as the East is from the West. And then we, in turn, extend that gift to others. Yeah. Yeah. It is a remarkable thing. You know, I think that if, if people only realized that if the you know when when we talk about uh, living a life that commends God that points to God that shows God, one of the most important ways is to give up the arguments, to give up the fighting, to work to reconcile people, so that then the one of the ways that they'll see God is when they see us serving as peacemakers in all kinds of situations at work, perhaps, you know, when there's some co-fellow workers who can't get along, doing what we can, sacrificing what we can to try and bring peace. Uh, I, I think that it could be even in communities working to bring peace. That's how we show God's heart for people. I think it's it's one of the most important things. I, one of the complaints about the Egyptian and Israeli peace treaty I don't know if you remember this. This is so long ago. It was in the late 70s. But the United States brokered that peace, President Jimmy Carter. And in order to get Egypt and Israel to give up this long-term hatred with multiple wars behind it, what he did is he said, listen, Israel, if if you will make peace, we will supply you, make sure your, your oil is supplied because you have to give up these oil fields in the Sinai. We're going to do that. And we're going to help you, Egypt, if you'll make peace, 
we're going to give you some subsidies to help you with the poverty in your nation. And America, people are complaining, America's paying for a peace treaty. Isn't that what the biblical definition of peacemaking is? Which is... There has to be a sacrifice. Reconciliation through sacrifice. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Jesus will go on to say, you're to love your enemies. Now, now stop and think about that for a moment. I, mean, I struggle to love my friends. We're called <laughs> to love our enemies. Uh, but that's what peacemaking requires. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. It takes it. Uh, it requires its reconciliation through sacrifice, and then we'll look like God. Well, uh, we've got one more beatitude, so don't go away, because we're going to talk about the very next one, and it's one that we don't want. Uh, you know, I don't look at these and say, yeah, I want to be persecuted. Well, if you want to know what Jesus has to say about persecution, stick around. Chris and I will be back, Chris Castaldo, Michael Radonik, and we're going to talk about how it is that we can be uh, deal with persecution. And we may have to. So stay with, stay right there. We're coming right back. You know, in Psalm 122, verse 6, the psalmist exhorted us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, a prayer we too often neglect. That's why Chosen People Ministries' new calendar is a great reminder to pray for Israel. This year's calendar will immerse us in the land of Israel. It will encourage us to pray breathtaking photos from the land and prompts heartfelt prayer, this calendar can be yours free. Since the Jewish New Year begins in the fall, the calendar runs from September of 23 through December of 2024. For your free copy of Chosen People Ministries' Jewish Art Calendar, just go to the Open Line website, that's openlineradio.org, scroll down, You'll see the link that says, A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that link and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of the 2023-24 Jewish Art Calendar. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and this is a special pre-recorded program. Usually we take your calls, but today Pastor Chris Costaldo, lead pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, and the author of The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes, a book that is really for our cultural moment. It is exactly what we need to be thinking about and studying right now, and we've been having a great time going through the Beatitudes together, and I'm, I'm just... Uh, I've, been, I've been really encouraged and blessed today, Chris. We're get, we still have one more to go, but I, 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 I'm grateful for the chance to work through this with you. And before we, uh, before we go to talking about the Beatitudes again, I want to say Trish McMillan is the producer of this program, and she has been in here helping me out, as has uh, Courtney Young, our engineer. They do such a great job, and you know I did not mention them earlier but I do want to make sure that I thank them now, and I'm grateful for all that they always do for this program and for today as well. And now, uh, Chris, the last one here, uh, I know that we're all looking forward to this. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, that doesn't sound like fun, personally. No. What, 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 why is Jesus talking about this? Yeah, it's sobering. 
yeah. we could add to it Paul's words, all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. Yeah. Uh, this is the cruciform life. Bonhoeffer, when he started his school at Finkelwalde uh, during the Second World War, he used the Sermon on the Mount as the curriculum, and he was criticized for that. Karl Barth, for example, said, hey, you're getting Catholic. It's like a monastery you're starting there. And Bonhoeffer's response was interesting. He said, this moment is wrought with so much temptation. The threat against us coming from Nazism is, is so dangerous that we have to go as deep as we possibly can into God's Word, and there's no portion of Scripture that takes us there like the Beatitudes. Um, we are increasingly in a cultural situation like that, where social media comes at us with the values of this world. How can we stand against it? It's this truth. It's all of the Beatitudes, but it's particularly this promise that we have the kingdom of heaven, we have the presence of God as we stand in, in those crosshairs. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is interesting about this, and it's important to note that blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, right? Uh, blessed are you when they say all sorts of evil against you because of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what I think is significant is sometimes believers face persecution for being obnoxious. I'm afraid you're right. And and we don't I know I that's sometimes when I want to blame persecution on some sort of spiritual thing, I think only if I was less obnoxious, probably I wouldn't be facing this persecution now. That's so, right. So it's the affront of the gospel that's in view here. Yeah. 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 It, it's it's representing Jesus in, in an explicit way. Yeah. It's being identified by, by the way, sometimes we don't want to identify as followers of Jesus. Because we don't want to be persecuted, but this is saying that's a blessing, but it's only, like I have a neighbor who has kind of mean, obnoxious bumper stickers, and and he, he's, he loves Jesus, but he has these bumper stickers, and he comes to me and says, you know, people just hate me for the sake of the gospel. And I suggested to him that perhaps it wasn't the sake of the gospel, it was the obnoxious bumper stickers. And uh, we have to be really careful about that. Uh, that we don't, uh, that we don't draw people to become angry with us just because we've got obnoxious personality disorder, you know, OPD. Yes. We're, we're all victims, you know. But that's not it. That's right. this beatitude is assuming the other ones. Yeah. That we are meek. That we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That we're pressing into purity with a robust vision of God. When we do that in Jesus' name, we will be persecuted. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And now, uh, it's not something that we should look forward to. I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to be persecuted. Right. Uh, you know, that's that's not what I look forward to. But are we willing? I think in our cultural moment, there's going to be more persecution than ever before in American culture. What do you think about that? I'm afraid you're right. It, it seems that way. There's a certain trajectory. Mm-hmm. When I was in Italy, I went to the Castle Sant'Angelo just beside St. Peter's Basilica. And uh, it was there that a certain reformer, Pietro Cannesecchi, was martyred for teaching the Bible, for promoting the gospel. And so he, he was in prison for a period of time. And then I saw the room, there's a room right by the exit where they take you, right before you're martyred. And they ask you one last time, will you recant? Uh, will you reject these ideas? And he responded saying, I belong to Christ and I will live for him, and I will die for him. And those were his last words. But actually, when, when you read the account, uh, it was before then 
he was pleading with the inquisitor to believe. He was mm-hmm. doing evangelism wow. <laughs> before his last words. Isn't and then something? he gave up his life right there on the bridge. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it won't get that bad. But, you know, there's going to be some governmental persecution, I think, because of the changing cultural mores. You know, I often think what's going to happen at Moody if we sooner or later there might be some pressure about accreditation because of some stances we've taken. Uh, there may be some pressure about tax exempt status, right? Yep. And and I love talking about that with our president, Mark Job. Yeah. And he said, if we lose our accreditation, we'll still teach. Yeah, it's it, that conviction. It, it's Karnasecki's yeah. conviction that we yeah. need now. Yeah. Even it, even though we may not lose be tax exempt status, God's people will still give. Yeah. You know, that's that's the, the the truth of it is we're not gonna shift our views. We're gonna represent God and his word, the Lord Jesus, and and if there's persecution that comes so be it. Eh, this is just in the tradition of the prophets, right? right? That's what happens. So, hey, before we before we go, one minute, okay? Would you just tell me the, the overall impact of the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes for our lives today, you know, the big picture? What, what do you want to leave people with? A reality check. I think it confronts us in our self-sufficiency. It leads us in the way of repentance. And then it's like the dredging of a river. Uh, I saw a program on this once. They send these units down, scrape the bottom of the river. And I thought, my, if this river had feelings and emotions, it would be crying. But it's necessary in order for things to grow in the river. That's what the Beatitudes do for our souls. So let's read them. Let's discuss them. Let's memorize them and allow them to have that sanctifying work. Mm-hmm. Let, us tr- let it transform our lives. Yes, That's it. I think that that's the only way we can... I think these are verses... This is a book, The Upside-Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes, published by Crossway, author Chris Castaldo. Uh, this, this is a book based on a passage that is what we need for this time, for this moment, for this culture. I really want to encourage everyone to get a copy of it and uh, check out The Upside-Down Kingdom by Chris Castaldo. I think it's it's just a, a terrific work. And Chris, thanks for your friendship, but thanks also for joining me on the program today. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Michael. Yeah, it's always, always great. By the way, when you don't write a book, will you still come back and join us? I will indeed. Oh, good. It's always great to have you here, Chris. Uh, Love having you. Well, that's the program for today. Thanks for listening, everyone, especially especially for your patience. Send your questions in by going to our website. Just click on... Uh, go to openlineradio.org, click on Ask Michael a Question, and we'll be back next week with your calls, so don't worry about that. Keep reading the Bible, and we can talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. <laughs>